Well, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you this morning to turn to Psalm 78, where in just a moment we'll read. We actually have a number of passages this morning. It's a challenging sermon because there's much to say, and I don't wish to go any longer than usual. But I'll begin this way. As the fall approaches, as students begin returning to school, the same thing happens every year. I just wonder if you've ever noticed it. You see, it's time for the orbed weaver and the yellow garden spider, the riding spider, to appear. But most of us will not see those things or even notice them except on those rare occasions when a heavy dew or a misty morning reveals their webs and that they are everywhere. That is my thought this morning as we approach this subject. This morning, our service is saturated with the covenant, right? Our songs, we sang about the covenant. Our opening hymn, we sang about the covenant. We've had the covenant of baptism. We're going to have the covenant meal at the end of our service. That's unusual for us to have both sacraments in one day. But just as those spider webs and those amazing spiders and and their intricate webs, if you get a chance to look closely at what they do when when the dew is on them and they become visible, first, it's amazing that they are everywhere and that you never see them. Number two, if you just slow down and look at what is there, the beauty and the wonder of the craftsmanship is amazing. And what I have found in my own life is that the theme of God's covenant and His promise-making, we can read through the Bible and find it to be unfamiliar language and just kind of move on. Or worse, we can think, oh, that's just how God used to talk. That's how God used to work. But things are different now. This morning, I'm praying that like dew and mist, that the beauty of God's promises to His people will help us see what is throughout the Bible and is what is our greatest hope, fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. So praying for a little dew, a little bit of mist, give your attention to Psalm 78, one of several passages we'll hear this morning, and listen to this theme and hope for God's promises. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. For I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God 
and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray that God would bless our understanding of His Word. Lord, quite simply, that is my prayer this morning. Would you amaze us with the nature of your promise making, the beauty of your promise keeping? For Lord, surely it is our only hope and we need to embrace it. So we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know your familiarity with the Bible. I don't know your history of study. Some of you brand new to the church, brand new to the scriptures. You feel overwhelmed trying to take in a book of the Old Testament. Others of you have been Sunday school teachers. You're you're scholars of sorts who, who love to read and who have processed Old Testament and New for decades. So I'm speaking this morning, I know, to people who are all over the spectrum. Um, And I want to be introductory and yet say some pointed things. But for our understanding, Scripture, the Holy Bible, the 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament, they are a story of redemption. The story of our redemption as the church, as the people of God. And that redemptive story was slowly revealed over many years through many people, but all ultimately one family. All ultimately one family. That unfolding story of Revelation. Now think of if you were in children's Sunday school growing up. That that unfolding story of Revelation that sometimes played out on a on a flannel board or in a workbook, it told of God's unilateral covenants with Adam at creation, with Noah for redemption from the earth and the flood, of Abraham and the promise of a seed and a land and a blessing, of Moses and the giving of law and of the deliverance of people, And of David and the promise of a kingdom and of a king. And that unfolding story, it all culminates in what Jesus calls the new covenant. A new covenant of new promises. And if we've misunderstood those different Sunday school classes and different workbooks, you may have heard some of that and thought, oh, well, well, God started with plan A, and then He went to plan B, When that didn't work, he went to plan C, and then he went to plan D, and he's just always changing things. We're not sure what's going on. That's just not how we understand Scripture. It's better to think of, man, God made a seed of a promise early on. And that little seed began to grow and took shape into a a sapling. And that sapling grew and the promise became more clear until finally in Jesus we have the oak tree of oak trees. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, Russian nesting dolls is helpful. I thought of those this week in trying to think of how to communicate, you know, the Russian nesting dolls. Oh, look, there they are. 
where these dolls, you know, children, they fit inside of each other and it can look like you have one big doll and you can take the top off and then within that doll is a smaller doll and, and it keeps narrowing down. Now this is the opposite image of the seed, the sapling, and the oak tree, but it narrows down to the one principled whole little doll. And so it's not these disconnected things, it's this growing, building, progressive, beautiful story of God's promises, which are never in conflict with each other and which never undo each other. Psalm 78 is where we'll begin this morning. And that verse 1 that said, Give your ear. says, Give ear now to what I am to tell you, my people. Which is to say, now listen up. I'm about to tell you something you need to hear. Pay attention. Okay? This is underscoring. This is emphasis. My father used to say when we were all living in the home and we were children, if the news was on and we would come into the TV room and be loud, my dad would A, shush us, and he would say, don't move, don't breathe. And I remember as a little child, me like, wait a minute, I'm going to die. Don't move, don't breathe. But that was my dad's way of saying, don't make a sound. I'm listening to something, trying to command attention, right? So there's a sense in which the writer of Psalm 78 is having that serious moment with his hearers saying, now give your ear. Now listen to what I'm about to say. I'm about to say something that is a profound parable. It's a mystery. This is... This is how the whole world has been held together. Don't move, don't breathe, don't miss this. So I have three points this morning. Don't move, don't breathe is not the first one. The first one is the covenant. Specifically, God's promise to Abraham. Now, I'm jumping into the Abrahamic covenant for a reason. But when we look at the God's covenant with Abraham, there are two things I want to highlight in order for our consideration. The first is this language of covenant. And I've already used the word so many times, and surely you see and know that it's a a biblical term. But what does it mean? We don't really use that language very much. It does come up in some legal work in our world. Lig Duncan defines it this way, and I think this is simple and helpful. There are all kinds of different ways to express it, but this is a good concrete one, I think. He says a divine covenant, God's covenant, is a God-initiated, binding, living relationship with blessings and obligations, requirements, conditions. Okay? Listen to that again. It's a divine covenant, one that God makes, is God-initiated, and it's binding. It's living. It's a relationship with the promise of blessings, and you could say the promise of curses, conditions, things to be held to, lest you reap those curses. So that's the language of covenant biblically. I don't have time to flesh that out and prove that in detail, but, but that's the language of covenant and what all it encapsulates. Now, the language of seed is very important language when we talk about God's promises and God's covenant. Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17 all have the language or the working of God making promises that include 
seed. Listen to those. I don't think I have those printed on the wall, but I want you to give your attention. Listen to this. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord speaking to the serpent says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, the word is seed, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the language of the first promise of the gospel. That right after man's fall into sin, the Lord speaks to the serpent and he says, I am sending a singular masculine seed, a boy. In time, a boy is coming and he will crush your head, though you will strike his heel. He will give you a death blow, though you will wound him, is the imagery there. Now, we understand that now in the light of the New Testament. It's exactly what would happen. This is that first seed of promise, and it references that word seed, that God is going to do something in the future through a little one. Then in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 and verse 7, for the sake of time, the Lord comes to Abram and He calls Abram. He makes covenant with Abram and it begins like this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's the promise that God is going to do something through this man. But listen to verse 7. Is it just the man? The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, your seed, I will give this land. God's promises include children. Abram's children. He's not just doing something through the man Abram. He has a larger plan that's going to unfold through the course of time. Then in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6 and 17 to 18, for the sake of time. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? He knew that there was a promise of children. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And so the Lord took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he says it. He said to him, So shall your seed be. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In verse 17, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, appeared and passed between the pieces, the torn animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, your seed, I give this land. 
And then finally, lastly, in Genesis chapter 17, listen to this. Let this amaze you, grandmothers. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And then here it is. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now listen, that is a lot of words. I realized that. I almost wasn't going to read it all. But then I remembered, we're not ashamed of the Bible. We're happy to hear what God's Word says and all these promises. And if you would go explore it on your own and chase these thoughts down and study them, it probably will bless you richly. That's the language of seed and how it ties in with God's promises. There's always been a direct relationship between God's promises to man, where it all began, and to His doing something through children, something very, very special. So what is the covenant and the promise of God. It is quite simply, as you heard several times in those readings, that He says, my promise is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that is marriage-like language. He is coming as, as a husband of sorts and saying, I will be your God. I will be to you what you need, what you long for. And you will belong to me. You will be my bride. And that's beautiful language of people coming together. But it's the holy creator, the one who would be the redeemer and who is the sustainer coming and saying, I embrace you. I desire to be with you. And what the Lord is saying there is that I am distinguishing you in the earth. You are awesomely distinguished. You are set apart from the rest of creation. You are in my image. And I am setting you apart for a beautiful purpose. For my beautiful purpose. And the covenant, secondly, is revealing of God's divine nature and His purpose. So what we learn about the Lord, the God of the Bible, is that He's not just a promise maker. He's the one true promise keeper. He is the one who never falls short of fulfilling His promises. What He says He will do, He always does. He is a promise-making and a promise-keeping Lord, period. That's the nature of the covenant. In as short of a nutshell as I can give you, boom, there it is. Secondly, in the real heart of my sermon, the covenant family. And that is God's promise to Abraham's seed, to his offspring. 
God said to Abraham, to Abram, that the beneficiaries of God's promise to Abraham would be to his seed, to his children. Now, those of you who are parents, you, you get this more than anybody. I mean, somebody can like you, but when they love you enough to automatically love your children because they love you, boy, that's just good news. You know you've got a friend indeed when, when they love your children because they love you. Does God love His people enough to love His children? I think the answer is yes. Covenantally, it has to be yes. And that is good news that I would love to be that dew and that mist on the spider webs that we see the nature of God as He's always interacted with His people. Is I don't, I don't not see your children when I see you. I see all of you together as a covenant family. That's the way I created it. That's the way it should be. And that's how we would hope that God would see our households. Not us as random, disconnected individuals, but as a covenant family who seeks to honor Him and know Him and serve Him. The beneficiaries of God's promise to Abraham were His seed. His seed, Abraham's seed, they were the objects and instruments of God's promised grace. And that plays out through history from Genesis 15 and 17 on. Secondly, and this is important, the family has always been central to God's redemptive plan for the world. The family, you just heard it. You heard God's promise from Genesis 3, 12, 15, and 17. The family has always been at the center of God's design and His plan for the redemption of the world. And that largely happens through the discipleship and the nurture of our children that happens in our homes. Largely. That's the primary and ordinary way that God's ordained to change the world is through your home. Now, I know it was said years ago that it takes a village to raise a child. It's a covenant family and a covenant community. Those are the two images that we're given in Scripture. Those are primary. Those are the categories through which we should think. The covenant family is the hub of discipleship and nurture. It is the normative way that we look for God to be at work. Now, you say to me, but wait a minute. I know a lot of stories where good Christian families have lived through the pain and horror of their children who were loved and discipled, and they walked away from the faith. And maybe they haven't returned or never returned. That is a true reality, and, and Scripture prepares us for it. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Paul. I was listening at the start of the service, and I saw the reflection reading actually on this side of the church. You remember what the reflection reading was if you saw it? It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I know people who departed from it, so therefore the Scriptures can't be true. That's where you need to remember that is a proverb and not a promise. It tends to be the true way that things work out. 
It's not a promise that that will always be true. It's a proverb. It's a pithy, God-given proverb to encourage our families, to rear our children in the Lord. So make sure, and you're hearing all this covenantal emphasis, that's a proverb, not a promise. Nothing is guaranteed. Every baptized individual has the condition placed upon them that they must persist in the faith. Old Testament and New, that's the condition. Walk before me and be blameless, the Lord continues to say his, to His people. We have to abide in Him. Remain in me, Jesus said, even as I remain in you. It's been said, and some of you will feel odd when I say this, but listen carefully. It's been said that church growth, the healthiest and most normative means of church growth, is through the womb of believers and through the home of believers. And simply what that is saying is echoing all of these promises that God has made to His people. I will be your God, you will be my people. And in that way, the primary means of church growth is God rearing little ones through Christians. And that's why it is such a high and a holy calling. We'll discuss that more as I suspect that raises some questions. Everything about the biblical family is under hostile cultural attack. And you don't need me to tell you that. You know that. God's design revealed to us in Scripture and in Genesis is, is despised by our world. Whether it's gender or roles within marriage and families or sexuality itself, or the disciplining of children, or how and what to teach children, everything in our culture is trying to scramble Genesis and undo what we're told should be normative for humanity. You need to consider that, wrestle with that. Why is it that passages like we just read are interpreted with such hostility by our world? God has said those are the normative ways. But still, the family is God's first and most ordinary means of growing His church. Do you believe that? Moms, what you do at home. Dads, what you do at home that can feel so thankless. God has said is the primary means through which He's growing His church. So take heart and be encouraged, weary moms. What you are doing is for the Lord, and it is high and it is holy. Psalm 78, three quick things. Psalm 78 is all about the theme of nurturing our little ones in the Lord. It is the covenant family saying, We pledge ourselves to our high and holy calling. We will bear children for the Lord. We will not hide truth from them, but we will tell them the truth about the living Lord. That's verse 4. The summary of Psalm 78 is captured in the spirit of verse 4. We will not be like those who were unfaithful before us. We are going to nurture our children to know Yahweh. And that is the theme, not just for those who have just baptized a little one, but for all of us who are parents, for all of us, us who are parents of grown children. 
We are always praying that the Lord would show His mercy and His faithfulness to His promises to our household, to all who have been the fruit of our household. And that has always been our only hope, is that the Lord would bear that fruit and do that work in them for us. Now thirdly and lastly, the benefit of all of this is that we're not alone in doing this. We're not alone. Because thirdly, there is a covenant community that Scripture speaks of. And that is that God's promise in that covenant is to the seed of Abraham's seed. So you have a promise in the covenant, you have a promise to Abraham's seed, and then you have a promise that God is going to do something to the seed of the seed. And what you have here in Scripture is pictured what I can only call a family of families. It is an everlasting covenant, the Scriptures say, which means this is what God is always doing, is growing a family of families. We heard of it in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. Listen to that again. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God's promise to Abraham lives on still. This wasn't plan A replaced with plan B, C, D, or E. This is what God is still doing and why we can have a presupposition such as God is at work. Some of you as little ones sang that uh, song, Father Abraham. How many sons has Father Abraham? I'm one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's the promise that it's echoing. God is at work in our midst. Our little ones matter to Him. They are to be regarded as a part of that family of families, that covenant community. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, From Adam through Noah, from Abraham through Moses, and from David to Christ, God's people have been defined, united, and shaped through an ever-renewed and developed covenant bond established by God with His church. From Adam to Christ, this unified series of divine covenants created, here it is, a single family tree. God's people have always been justified by faith alone and not by works. They have always trusted the promises of God and have always been told to be conscious that they were one holy family. Do you hear this language, this imagery? That is who we are. We are one family with all Christians spread throughout the earth and throughout history because God made a promise to Abraham that he is seeing through. Not plan A, B, C, D, E. It's the one redemptive plan that he has orchestrated and beautifully fulfilling. Secondly, Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 to 29. Listen to this. Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. 
neither slave nor free. There's not male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see what Paul is saying? Abraham isn't this old guy we studied in Sunday school on a flannel graph that doesn't matter anymore. You and I are the recipients. We are heirs because of that promise that God made to Abraham. He is seeing that promise through. He sees it through the womb of the church. He sees it through your homes. And our greatest hope, our only hope we ever had, was that God would be faithful to His promises. And so by faith, we view one another through that lens. By faith, we look at our own children and each other's children and we see God's promise. God, would you be at work and fulfill that promise? We're going we're to act and respond as if it is true. And we embrace your promises and we trust you because there's nothing else for us to do. Lastly, and very quickly, what all this means... What it means is that we too, like Abraham, are in covenant with God. And every week we gather, this is the assembly. This is the community of saints that meets at Greenwood Presbyterian Church. And we participate in renewing that covenant with God. Because every week we break that covenant. We walk back in through those double doors and we've sinned. We've fallen short as husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and children and students and athletes. Workers, employers, employees, everything that we are, we have fallen short. And we come through those double doors and we take our seats to worship Yahweh, the God of the covenant. And we confess our sins. And because of His promises, He responds with pardon. Because of Jesus, He responds with pardon. And we sing to Him and give thanks to Him. And He feeds us through His Word and sometimes through sacrament. Or shows us a picture of the covenant. And then we go right back out those double doors. And we do it all over again. And we come back the next week and we've sinned and we've fallen short. And we renew our covenant again. And that's the Christian cycle. Because we are in covenant with God. Secondly, we're in covenant with one another. Did you know that? If you're a member of this church, you've made vows that very concretely remind us that we are brothers and sisters in this. We took a vow this morning to, to help rear Joseph Peter White. Did you hear that? That we all have a part in modeling faith and repentance. Maybe to serve in the nursery, the Sunday school. Maybe to help mom get in the car when dad's not able to be there that morning. We're all pitching in because we're in covenant relationship with one another. We've committed ourselves to be a blessing to the world. We've committed ourselves to be a blessing to one another. And that's all in that Abrahamic covenant. That's who God's people are. It's who we always were supposed to be. It's who we always must be. And then thirdly and lastly, what it all means is that we are the recipients in covenant with God, in covenant with one another, with covenant blessings ourselves. And the two most tangible covenant blessings that God has given you as one in covenant with Him and with His church, they're two very prominent blessings. It's knowing that you've been marked in His church 
and that you rightly belong to him. And it's being fed by him at his table. He's given us those two tangible things. They're called sacraments. They're for our good because when we go back through those double doors, our faith can get so weak. God can feel distant. Maybe our co-workers or our environment brings us down. But we can remember our baptism, that we have been set apart for the Lord. He owns us. He's promised washing water with the condition that I persist in my faith. And that He feeds us. He reminds us that His body was broken and His blood was shed. And so I can go back to work. I can go back out into the community and remember the truth of the gospel because He's blessed us covenantally with these tangible signs and seals that encourage us. You know, of the two sacraments, one is freely offered, and it said, come, 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 receive it. The other is said, whoa, 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 not so fast, be careful. It comes with a warning. Did you know that? In our culture, we tend to come quickly here and slowly here. But the reverse is said in Scripture. In Scripture, we're invited to come quickly here, but with great examination of oneself and our life and our faith. Paul says, let a man, let a person examine themselves carefully before they come to the table, lest they eat and drink judgment on themselves. But both are gifts of God to the church. That tangibly we would see as we have seen, and as we soon will, taste and see that the Lord truly is good. Let's pray together, and then we're going to come to the table, and we're going to partake by faith. Let's pray. Lord, your grace is amazing. Your promise is eternal. These things should give us more confidence than probably most of us feel. And Lord, our feelings are fickle. Would you move us this morning by these truths of your word that we would find confidence in nothing else but your promises and your proven character and nature as the one true God. But Lord, as we survey the wondrous cross, as we marvel over what you did to put an end to sin. Would you move our hearts that maybe even our feelings could catch up with those truths? And we ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.